From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 262, and today I'm joined by actor and podcaster Cody Crane. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Ed Wood. I'm Jeremy, and I have seen this film quite a few times, but I haven't seen it in a very long time, and I'm so excited to rewatch it. I'm here with... I'm Cody Crane. I have not seen this movie, and I'm very excited. I've been leaving it, waiting for this podcast, because I know that as far as Tim Burton movies go, um, he notably has a big drop-off in that career, um, in my opinion. Yep. Oh, I I, I don't (laughs) think uh, there's a lot of dispute there. But this is the one where um, it's during the period where I really enjoy his work. Yeah, um, it, this is when he's firing all cylinders. It's like Edward Scissorhands is around this time, and the Batman movies, and Mars, Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks, yes. I love Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks. That's when my son Ephraim is also here, but he won't be joining us in the second half. <laughs> Mars Attacks is a movie I have to show you, Ephraim, because you will. You'll either. No, you'll love it. Because it's just bonkers and awesome and amazing. And it's filled with a cast of people that mattered then, but also people that didn't matter then that matter a lot now. Oh, see, I haven't, I think I only saw it one time in the theaters, really? so I I'm probably don't even know who half... I remember the big cameos, mm-hmm. but I probably am missing like all the other ones, so I'm going to add it to my list to revisit because that's definitely one we got to check out. It holds up in a weird way. I watched it kind of recently. I wonder if that's not the kind of movie that aged really well for reasons that are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And sad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I won't spoil the cast for you from that. That's one you should go into cold because it's... Yeah, I don't want to ruin anything. Just (laughs) don't even look at a poster. The poster gives away too much. (laughs) Delightful, delightful. So then what do you know about this film? I know it's Tim Burton, I know it's uh, Johnny Depp, and I think this is a big cast of people that I enjoy, but I don't know exactly, because I know about Ed Wood as well, uh, uh, roughly, and I know that... Have you seen any Ed Wood films? No, I haven't. This will make you want to watch them. Yeah, I think maybe I'll become a big Bela Lugosi fan after this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I won't get into the history because you're going to see it here about what because this is I told Ephraim that it's about the one of, who was considered at the time one of the worst filmmakers or at least worst like well known filmmakers because there's there's worse filmmakers that never got their stuff shown but <laughs> right. but he was more of a, I don't know it's weird but there's something anyway I won't get into the details of it because there's so much for me to talk about after <laughs> um, so what made you pick well, so first of all why did you not get around to this film. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that um, I, I've had a big uh, black hole in general around um, Johnny Depp. And this was before, like at this era of Tim Burton, he wasn't really there. Like there was Edward Scissorhands, of course, which I've seen. But I, I think that in general, like I've had a huge black hole around him as an actor and just never... Watched it, and I don't know why. I think that probably when I was younger, the fact that I think this is in black and white, mm-hmm. I, I think that probably would have scared me off when I was uh, younger. Okay. And then... You you were like a hater of black and white, Cody? Yes. I don't peg you for that kind of guy. Yeah, I was the... Uh, I went through film school, 
and avoided the black and white movies. Oh, there's some great movies in there. Uh, yeah, and then, oh my god, you can't even imagine my disdain when The Artist came out. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know what? That said, I haven't seen The Artist. That's one of my bigger black holes, too, that I should probably see at some point. But it's also, it's black and white, and it's silent, and I'm like... I don't want to watch this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't, I, there's some great silent films out there, but I'm going to be honest, like because of just what we're used to with modern storytelling, silent films are, you've got to really be caffeinated. Yeah, it's, it's not exactly something that I'm like, oh, I can't wait to watch this silent film. That's just it. Like, I know at some point I want to see the artist that's still on my list, but I'm like, I don't ever get excited by the concept of watching it, and therefore I never get around to it. So that means I have to do it on the podcast. And, and I don't remember what came out that year, too, but I, I, if I'm recalling, I think that it was a pretty packed year as far as the Academy Award nominees go that year, and that I was excited about all of them but that. Yeah, yeah I remember that as it, well. It felt like a chore. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just a good place to dive. I don't want to ruin anything else. I'm so, uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about after, so let's just dive in. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So we just finished. And? Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. I, um... I'm curious what my son thought he had to disappear because it's late. But um, it's funny. I don't think I've seen this film. I remember when I first saw it, I probably watched it a dozen times because I would have been a film student, you know, eager to make my own first feature film and just, you know, really responding to, uh, you know, the, the comedy of it all and the ridiculousness of it all, but also like totally getting the desperation and just like the... And, and still, as an indie filmmaker, I, I see this and I'm like, I yeah, a lot of this, unfortunately, rings very true. Yeah, I think that it's very interesting. I mean, I wasn't expecting it to ring so true in like an independent filmmaking kind of way. I, just like how relatable it was in that way, where I, I think that was a good kind of angle that they definitely took with it. And I guess that's a big part of it. But they didn't have to go that relatable, I don't think. But it really did. And you really, um, I don't know, it just, it felt really, like, accurate for it. <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Like, it only tells a certain window of his story. Because I think after after Plan 9, Ed Wood's life does not get better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they kind of allude to it in the, in the, the closing crawl that he... What is this? He, he crept into alcoholism and monster nudies? Uh, yeah. <laughs> was the name, was how they described it. Um, but essentially, I think it was a kind of, I think that was a nice way of saying he was directing porn by the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, it's funny, like, I, I just think now, because I teach uh, at a couple of different film schools, too, here and there sometimes. and And one thing I constantly tell my students is, like, because even when I was coming out of film school, like, you know, I didn't, we didn't have phones in our pockets that you can make movies with, mm-hmm. you know? And I tell them, I'm like, if I was you right now, and, you know, all these, like, you know, YouTube and all these other things exist, I don't know why you're not making a short film every weekend and just putting it up on YouTube and just making stuff and just gaining an audience that way. Can you imagine what Ed Wood would do if he was alive today? Yeah, I mean, that kind of ambition is insane. And I remember, um, like, something from uh, my film school. My, I went to uh, Vancouver Film School, and I went for acting, but my uh, two roommates, that we all moved out there together to uh, go there. Uh, they were in the film production, and they were a part of the first ever time where the film production course, um, they pooled their money and went to make a feature film. And that was the first time that I think, I believe they said any film school had had a feature film made as their final project, where I think a portion of your school budget for Vancouver Film School was given to you at the end Mm -hmm. um, to do a short, supposed to do a short. But they were like, no, let's all put our money together and do a feature film. And how much money was it? 
Um, I'm trying to think now. I think they were each given something like two grand or something like that out of their what they paid for tuition. Right. Um, so it ended up adding up. Like the more people, and I, I think some people in their class are like, no, I'll do my own thing or whatever. But they just got more and more people to be like, no, we'll do this. And they divvied up the positions and, um, and still to this day I've made, uh, movies with them. Yeah. Uh, what was the, what was the movie they made? Uh, Gone Tomorrow was what it was called. Okay. So, and through that, because Vancouver Film School has a very notable filmmaker that graduated from there, uh, Neil Blomkamp. So for um, when they're promoting new things, uh, Neil Blomkamp's often a person that they'll like bring in or whatever, but they also bring in like my friends or whatever now because they did this thing and now like they've worked with Neil Blomkamp on uh, on things now too and to work together and mm-hmm. it just established that relationship through ambition. Yeah. I always thought that too is like and, and that's kind of what I tell young filmmakers too. Not that I think anyone should just jump into a feature because it's ambitious. Mm-hmm. But for me I'm like the amount of time and effort it takes into making a short, you might as well make a feature. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, it just it's 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 similar prep in terms of the time and effort, like casting, all those things are the same. It's just more of a marathon than a sprint. Yeah. You know? And even, you know, I do a a filmmaker's boot camp where I I talk to the idea of like, you know, if you have a smartphone, you can make a film. Like with two for $2,000 or less. And half of that is for food. Yeah. Right? I always say, you know, an independent film budget, uh, you know how many days you can shoot by how many days you can feed people. (laughs) <laughs> right uh and then after that everything was is gravy but uh yeah i just look at this and it's like it's inspiring all over again just watching this and just watching a guy who's just like although his story doesn't end well but just that that passion and that like almost like going after it with no there's no adult there telling him what the fuck are you doing yeah i it's it's interesting because um, like I was saying, the start, they didn't have to go through this like relatable way. And I was thinking, well, maybe they did, but then I instantly, I've thought about now, like the disaster artist, which is essentially kind of this movie or it's yeah. the idea. Right. And they didn't do that. You know, like you don't feel like, I don't think you feel necessarily inspired after the disaster artist. Like you don't really feel like that's a relatable situation where they could have made it that, but this really did. Yeah, well, there's something here that's... And I think the difference is, like, this movie's punching up. Like, Mm -hmm. they're not making fun of Ed Wood. They're embracing him and his spirit. Where, I mean, the disaster artist is punching down a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's it's clearly making fun of a guy who is not not all the way there, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, where here you've got like this the relationship. I mean, I think the thing that made um, Tim Burton want to make this movie was that he felt this kinship between the relationship between uh, Bella and Ed that he had had with Vincent Price, right? Because he had had this relationship with with uh, him in his early career. So I think he saw a parallel there, and so that was one of his main things. But also just the fact that. Uh, you know, I think there's a generation of people who know who Ed Wood is because of this movie. Yeah. You know, for sure. Like, I knew who he was because I was a film student, and I had a friend who was obsessed with him. Um, uh, and this movie had already come out at that point. I think this movie is 94, I want to say. I could be wrong, though. Um, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it feels... I think it's before Mars Attacks, but just before. Yeah. Well, this is in the period where, I mean... Tim Burton can get anything made he wants to. Uh, yeah, it was 94. Um, because of Batman still, right? He's still coming off of Batman and Batman Returns. And so they're financing whatever he wants. To some extent, I think he had he struggled with this one a little bit because it was such a personal project. And also what Hollywood studio wants to make a movie, but it would. Right. And that does not seem, sound like a profitable venture. No. You know? Um, it, it's interesting because... I mean, this isn't later on now. He's made another uh, biopic, right? Big Eyes. And something about that one is that it just doesn't... It doesn't necessarily feel Tim Burton. 
right when, when you're watching that one but this feels like as Tim Burton as you can get this is for me probably Tim Burton's most adult film in a weird way mm-hmm. like it's the most film film that feels like it's got a heart to it and it's got like where everything else just feels quirky and you know stylish but it doesn't feel like there's a strong emotional core to it right where this one feels like i think it's it's he's stated that it's his favorite of his films because i think there's just something to it that there's a piece of him inside of this yeah i th- i think that he was able to mold his style with a quality and very good biopic and have that heart with it and have uh, I don't actually know like the Academy Awards situation if this was Martin Landau won. Oh okay. For best supporting. Amazing. Um yeah, like this this feels like it's the big swing as far as that goes and I don't think that that was necessarily intention as much as it was just a passion project and wanting to uh, do well with something that was relatable. Well, again, who on page is going, oh, Ed Wood's going to be an Oscar movie. Yeah. You know, nobody, <laughs> I don't think anyone goes, the movie about what's, you know, the quote-unquote worst director in, in the history of film is going to be an Oscar movie. Uh, but Landau is incredible. And, and I think Johnny Depp was on record saying at one point that, you know, he was becoming disenchanted with Hollywood and making movies, but working with Landau in this kind of refired his inspiration. For, for wanting to act. Because Landau is fucking murdering every scene he's in. Yeah, it, it makes you... When you're, when you're watching it and you're watching like the scenes that he's like filming, you're like, maybe these had some really good stuff with them. <laughs> like, yeah. It made me think, like, yeah, he was doing some killer monologues. Like, I was just putting myself in there. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Just, and every time he's angry, just, every time he calls Boris Karloff a cocksucker is very <laughs> enjoyable. Um, yeah, and it perfectly um, allows you to kind of sympathize with those things. like And the things that weren't... Really, I don't think he would have been sympathized back then, but really, like, looked down upon more so with, like, drug addiction and everything like that, where, as, especially, like, today, we think of that in a whole different way. Like, um, it's a part of, like, mental health, right? And where you can kind of empathize, where I don't think it was... I don't feel like it was would have been empathized with back. No, it was shameful. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, I, I think he says that he was the first uh, celebrity to go to rehab. Mm-hmm. You know, or at least the first one acknowledged to go to rehab. Yeah, which uh, is insane to think about with like today. You know, <laughs> well, because you think of I think there's literally isn't there a TV show called Celebrity Rehab? Isn't there like a reality <laughs> show? Yeah, called that. Yeah, For, and Bella was the original. Um, yeah. I think it was if I. Uh, I'm correct. I think it was also the first time in Oscar history that an actor won an Oscar for playing another actor. Really? I think the second time was when um, Kate Kate Blanchett won for playing Audrey Hepburn in The Aviator. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's cool. Yeah, I I think that everyone kind of like uh, transformed in this movie too, where... Yeah, Bill Murray. <laughs> I mean, uh, George the Animal Steel. Wasn't expecting that. No. Yeah. And I don't know. And everyone is so good at being bad. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like Sarah Jessica Parker, when she is acting, is phenomenal. Yeah. And I guess this... I was thinking about... The, because they made a line where... I mean, this has been like a, a cruel joke on Sarah Jessica Parker... Um, now, and is this the origin of her being compared to a horse? The horse face? Yeah. I wondered that when she said that line, if that was something she did to kind of like shit on the people who say that, or if that started it. I, I think, 94, like that might have started it. I feel like it became like popularized with Sex and the City people saying it in reference to that. Yeah, and that was, that was later, that was like the end of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, this is before Sex... Sex in the City. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I was like, this this was the starting point. 
So it's this this the, the, the script. So so maybe it wasn't she said it and everyone was like, Oh yeah. She oh poor Sarah Jessica, she's so great. Yeah. We just saw um I hadn't seen it before, but we just uh watched LA Story uh on the podcast and uh and she's in I think that's one of her early films and is delightful as well. So this is my Sarah Jessica year. Yeah, it I was thinking about it too, because like with Mars Attacks and this, uh, I'm surprised that Sarah Jessica Parker hasn't been involved in more Tim Burton, especially like later on too. You, you would think there'd be some kind of reunion there. It's interesting. It feels like because of Sex in the City, like her film career just kind of disappeared, and she became known as a TV actor. Yeah, which we, I mean, that's something that I think the industry has, like, swayed away from now, too. Now, but but anyone but that was still a TV then, actor, yeah. originally, I think there's still a weird stigma. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't a TV actor originally. She was, like, she was never really a leading lady in anything major, but she was always playing great supporting parts. Well, uh, yeah, and I think, like, that's early HBO, right? Yeah. And I think the same thing happened with Gandolfini, too. Like, um, he just got stigmatized as a TV actor as well. Yeah, and he did He did a couple indies, but usually as, like, the heavy or... Um, one of my favorites was, was the Nicole Hoff, Hoffner movie. I'm, I'm butchering her last name. Uh, what was it called? Enough Said or something? Yeah, with uh, Julie... Julie Reese-Dreyfus. I think it was yeah. his last movie before yeah. he died. Uh, and it's, he's so good in it. Yeah. And I think that one was a big one too, where that was when the tide was kind of turning yeah. on, um, people looking down on TV, I guess, even though like the, you think of like sex in the city and Sopranos as like, that should have been a turning point then because of the quality of those. Yeah. But now what you have is you have bigger named, you know, quote unquote movie stars doing television. Yeah, like, I think True Detective was probably a really big part of that, and, I mean, like, endless things now, but, yeah, very, very interesting. No, and there's no, I don't think there's any stigma anymore at all, because there is just so much content, and movies, the movies that we make now are so different than what we used to make, there's, it's, it's, you know, it's very few movies, like, like, this wouldn't get made now. No. You know, this, this would end up being a, a streamer original. Of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, have you seen uh, Big Eyes, his other biopic? You know what? I haven't, actually. That's one of the few I haven't seen of his, because it just didn't look that interesting to me. It's not. It's not. Like, right. It's really I, not. I'm going to avoid. <laughs> and and that's what is so like interesting to like compare, I think, between the two, because that one just feels like... And I don't know, maybe someone will uh, say I'm wrong about it, but it doesn't feel like it's Tim Burton, doesn't feel like it has to be Tim Burton. Yeah. This does. Like, this feels like... Oh, nobody else could have made this movie. Yeah. This... It, look, it pays homage so well to to what Ed Wood did, and if you've ever seen any of his stuff, like, the production design here is phenomenal. It's, mm-hmm. But even the way he shot it... When he's shooting scenes that aren't inside the movie sets, like he's still going with bare walls. It still feels like a, a shitty, cheap indie like movie yeah. that you're, you know, making by the seat of your pants. Um, it has that he's put that like production value in every scene, but like knowingly, you know, right? Like this movie costs more than all of Ed Wood's movies put together. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, yeah. You know, the, the biggest budget Ed Wood movie was the movie about him, not a movie he made. <laughs> I wonder if he would appreciate that or be pissed off about that. <laughs> the the Ed Wood that was portrayed in this would appreciate it. Yeah. I don't know if that how accurate it is to him. Apparently, um, his his widow Kathy, who was played by Patricia Patricia Quite here, mm-hmm. came to set one day because she was still alive when they made the movie. Yeah. Um, and Tim Burton was nervous because Johnny they were shooting like a more frantic scene and Johnny Depp came out of like the trailer looking like disheveled and like shit. And he and, and the first thing and he was so nervous and then she just went, There's my Eddie <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene in the um when they're like the House of Horrors and you know, he tells her about his uh his how he enjoys you know, wearing women's clothing makes him feel comfortable and she's just like Okay. It's just such a beautiful moment. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's... 
once again, where, like, some of the the terminology, like, people, I mean, that's what the terminology would have been back then, you know, and I think the overall message of it is very, like, heartwarming and actually probably holds up a lot more now than it did then. Yeah, even at the time, it was probably more shocking, if anything, you know, uh, 30 years, this movie's almost 30 years old. Yeah. Um... Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Fucking crazy. Yeah, they would have been making it 30 years ago. Because even, like, I mean, Johnny Depp looks like a baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. He looks so young now. <laughs> um, he's so great in it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he just... Uh, you, you forget that it's him. Honestly, like... He disappears right into it. Mm-hmm. You know, that mustache is fantastic. He's That accent or whatever voice thing he's doing. Yeah, and there's a, there's a mouth thing because of the teeth, too. Like... There's there's something that he's doing there where I don't know if it's like a holding his tongue to the top of his like mouth or something, but there's something that he's doing the entire time with his voice because it yeah. doesn't sound like that. Any- yeah, it's it's amazing. It's a, such a great performance because it's like it feels like an impression the whole time, but it's grounded in something. Like it's mm-hmm. grounded in something deeper. Like he, he's. It feels like a caricature, but yet not. It's almost. It almost doesn't make sense how it, it shouldn't work. Yeah, and well, this is uh, this is where I think like later. I mean, both of Tim Burton and Johnny Depp kind of fell under the same path. I think later on in their careers, right, where they kind of lost what made them special, but became like caricatures of themselves. I think. Yeah, and. Yeah, like this was he. I think he lost the grounding later on, or something. I don't know. Like he does, he went big, but it just stopped yeah, working. But without purpose. Yeah. Yeah, it was just big for the sake of doing something quirky and, and interesting, as opposed to being grounded in something. And that was my. I remember. I think I was in film school when Big Fish came out, and everyone mm. loved Big Fish, and except for me. Right. I just found it was like he was trying really hard to do like an Oscar movie. Or to do something, but it didn't. I didn't get the heart of it. I didn't, I didn't. Have you seen Big Fish? I have. Yeah, I saw it when I was. I haven't seen it since I got it on VHS when it first came out. Yeah, and I just remember going. I don't get why everyone cares. Like the dad's an asshole. He's just lied to his kids. Like mm-hmm. and and he was because that was the whole idea. Oh, my Rufus is having a little nightmare over there. <laughs> Hi, Rufus. Thinking oh. about the movie Big Fish. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there we go. Are we going to hear it? <laughs> I wonder if the mic picked that up. Wow, he's really going to town. Yeah, I mean, that's how I felt watching Big Fish, too. So I can't even imagine dreaming. Yeah, but it was that. just... Because the story of Big Fish is the story of, like, a shitty dad, and then the son goes to see if any of his big stories are true and finds out that they're not. But then he, like, embraces them because... I don't know, he's his dad, but he's, his dad's done nothing to make up for it, still. Right. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think that, um, to me, this was around the end of uh, Tim, my Tim Burton enjoyment, I think. Uh, Mars Attacks, I think, spiked the end. I think that was, like, done. And then uh, Sweeney Todd came out, and I'm uh, big on Sweeney Todd. Yeah, you like, you're a big fan of Sweeney Todd? Yeah. And I think that was just because he's putting his aesthetic on something that's already existing. That's fair. That's fair. Um, there's two... These are the weirdest... Um, oh, that's the Netflix one. Uh, his two upcoming projects are a Beetlejuice sequel mm-hmm. and a Wednesday Adams Netflix? Is it a series? Netflix series, yeah. And Christina Ricci is in it. Could be interesting. Yeah. Did I, he, well, he did the Adam Sandler movies, right? No. No, he didn't. I, they just perfectly suit him. He I might think. have been a producer on them. That's possible. Yeah. Because there was a weird... Like, you're right. It's like, I'm just looking at his... Because uh, after this... Yeah, it was Batman Returns, Scissorhands... It was Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood, um, Mars Attacks... And then it was Sleepy Hollow, Planet of the Apes, Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows. Never saw Dark Shadows. 
that one, that that's the, definitely one that I looked at and went, oof, that one's, <laughs> yeah. everyone's trying real hard to be Tim, make a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, think, like, if you think about all of the Tim Burton movies, though, and you think about the cast in them, you can say, yeah, that person makes sense, that person makes sense. The only one where it doesn't make sense is Planet of the Apes. Mark Wahlberg does not make sense to ever be in a Tim Burton movie. He's almost the opposite of Tim Burton in every way. That whole thing is just a weird shock. <laughs> you know, it was so funny. We, My son and I, uh, we did this for the podcast, actually. You can listen to it. It's an old, old episode now uh, where we watched uh, not all of the Planet of the Apes movies. Right. But we watched um, the original and then the... And then I showed him the new ones, the trilogy. Yeah. And then he wanted to cap it with watching the Tim Burton one. And I was like, oh, you want to end with that? <laughs> so we ended up watching that one at the end. He's like, oh, I wish I had enough. <laughs> I understand why the new trilogy, like, it's pretty good. Like, it's solid, too. So I think that would put me pretty high on it. And if I hadn't seen that one, I'd be like, okay, let's see what Tim Burton has to say about the Planet of the Apes movies. And you're like, oh, oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, that, that's what he has to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mark Wahlberg's kissing this monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tim Roth's great in it, though. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Everyone really commits. Everyone commits. It's just odd. It's odd. It's very peculiar. And they set it up so much for a sequel that was never going to happen. <laughs> well, I mean, we're getting Beetlejuice 2 now, so we, we don't know. We yeah. might get that sequel. <laughs> the, the one abandoned uh, Tim Burton project that I still wish would have happened was, do you remember... Uh, at one point, he was supposed to do a Superman movie. Yes, with Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage and w- Kevin Smith, written by script. Kevin Smith. Yeah, but then there was. I've, I think we. Anyway, if you're a nerd, you might have heard the Kevin Smith rant about it. Yep. Uh, in one of his like evenings with Kevin Smith specials, and it uh, the giant spider that it showed up in Wild Wild West. Yeah, that's where <laughs> it came from. Yeah, the studio executive that was obsessed with the Wild Wild West. <laughs> oh man, those are good. Uh, those are good stories. Yeah, yeah, that would have been interesting. And I'm surprised that um, Nicolas Cage hasn't shown up in another Tim Burton movie. Another Tim Burton, like he's he's the perfect aesthetic. Like in real life, he's very gothic too, and everything. Like, I wonder if whatever happened during all of that soured their relationship. It certainly soured the Kevin Smith Tim Burton relationship. Oh yeah. Uh, probably to this day. Yeah, probably to this day. Especially, I think Planet of the Apes reopened it up because... Kevin's with shit all over it hard. Yeah, and um, a thing that he used with uh, in it was also in one of the Jay and Silent Bob comics. And he said that he made a joke about Tim Burton um, taking something from the comic or whatever and putting it in there. Oh, the end of the movie, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the end of the movie. Um, and then Tim Burton said, uh, I would certainly never read anything by Kevin Smith. <laughs> and Even though there's a script that he was making. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. I mean, maybe he meant after. Yeah. Because clearly he'd read something by Kevin Smith. Yeah. But once again, polar opposites. Other than Clerks was black and white, this was black and white. That's two, true. Two black and white movies I enjoy. Yeah. But it's weird, like, you know, it's funny how, you know, he makes Batman, and then he makes the movie, he does one for them, one for him, by making Ed Scissorhands, mm-hmm. then he makes second Batman, then makes, you know, another Ed movie, different, yeah. different Ed. Yeah, he makes a Batman, gets an Ed movie, and yeah. he was going to do Superman, who knows what the Ed movie was going to be next. That's just it. So, <laughs> but, but then he just goes down this weird trajectory where he just kind of makes movies for them. Mm-hmm. You know, where he kind of gets into the Disney machine and still does some weird, interesting stuff, right? Yeah. All with Johnny Depp, mostly. Yeah. Playing esoteric, eccentric characters. Uh, there's a really great, if you haven't seen it, little short film someone made about, like, a production meeting with Tim Burton. Have you seen this? No. And they pull out, Tim Burton has, like, a phone. There's only two buttons on it. One calls Johnny Depp. Another one, no, three three buttons. One calls Johnny Depp, one calls Helen Bantam Carter, and then one calls uh, Danny Elfman. <laughs> uh, who is... This is one of the few times he didn't score for him this movie. Because mm-hmm. Howard Shore did it. And it was very good. It's a great score. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that closing credit one in particular, it's just, it's so, it's still stuck in my head. That was my first question when we uh, shut it off. I was like, was this Danny Elfman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because it doesn't quite, but it doesn't not sound like Danny Elfman. No, because it matches the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. Yes. Want to hear something okay. interesting? Not his voice. What? Tim Burton was not happy with how D'Onofrio, like, how it sounded, so he had someone else dub him. I didn't even catch it. I didn't even catch it. It's good. The, the sync is good. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the, when I, watching this, I think this is the first time I think I watched it knowing that, and I was like, yeah, that's not how D'Onofrio sounds. Because I think, I don't think I, I realized it was D'Onofrio when I was like, when I saw it years and years ago, maybe because I wasn't super familiar with him as an actor. Mm-hmm. But like now, having watched a lot more of his work, it's like, yeah, it's not even close to D'Onofrio's voice. <laughs> so if it was him doing it, like, it's a pretty impressive impression. Yeah, I mean, I was accepting of what everyone's voice was in this and everything like that. I was like, okay, yeah, they're all doing different voices. Yeah, here. I think it's the guy <laughs> that does um, Brain on Pinky and the Brain. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I know that guy's name. Uh, I'd have to look it up. Yeah. Um, but it's a similar, and that the whole point of that is this meant to be like an, or, an a Wellian type uh, type thing. I love that scene. Where they meet at the bar. Yeah. You know, whether it really happened or not, I'm sure it didn't. No. Um, but just, I love, because I always have that feeling too as a director, the idea that it's like, and I've heard the story of Spielberg too. Spielberg talks about how it's like, even when he's making films now, the first day on set, he thinks he's going to throw up. You know, he's still, you, it doesn't matter wh- what you are. It's like as an artist, I'm like, you're dealing with some kind of shit that you did not expect to be dealing with as part of your like artistry. <laughs> you know just the yeah. things you end up doing going why am I doing what, what? I thought there would be a point in my career where I didn't have to deal with shit but that's not true young filmmakers <laughs> you will always deal with shit yeah hopefully you like problem solving well that's what it is it doesn't matter and even and what I've found even as like budgets grow is like the problems just get bigger or weirder <laughs> you know and and also and then as the budgets grow too not only do the problems get bigger but it's like then like the pressure's higher that Oh, you got to make this work because someone actually put some real money into this thing and fuck. Yeah, I I was, um, I forget what brought me to this thought uh, recently, but I was thinking about just like problem solving with filmmaking and how stressful it is, but how there's almost nothing more satisfying than when you solve it. Oh, yeah. Like there's something about that feeling that's just like, yes, I did that. And... It's one of those things that you don't, like, you're on to the next problem, so you don't think about it. You know, I have no time to brag about how you did it. No, until the end. Yeah. (laughs) Until the end, and you're all commiserating and going, what? How the fuck did we get out of that? Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. I have um, uh, a filmmaker friend uh, mentioned this to me, and I'm like, okay, I've lived that. Uh, This analogy he has for, like, the two different kinds of you know, producers you can work with as, as a director. Uh, and I've had the fortunate to work, the fortunate to mostly work with one kind, but there's been a few instances where, where I felt like sometimes I've had the other one as, as one of the producers on the project. But it's, it's, it's the, um, the analogy is this, is that the house you're in is on fire, right? And one producer runs in and starts bringing in buckets of water. And starts, you know, making sure water's coming in so everyone can help put out the fire, right? And the second producer is standing outside the house holding the buckets. And then when you all get out, singed, looking like death and beaten up, he goes, see, I knew you didn't need the bucket. (laughs) (laughs) And just that guy that's like, could have helped you, could have like given you that little extra money or whatever, or time or whatever. And said, no, 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 we gotta stick to this. And then the end was like, it pats you in the back going, see, didn't that make you stronger? It's like, fuck you, we almost died. Did you see us? Did you see how hard? That, that almost fucking killed me. I should, I'm a bald man and hair runs well in my family. This, my baldness is not from genetics. It is from the stress of being a filmmaker from an early time. But you know what I mean? And I don't know if you've experienced that, those two different kinds of people. 
Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, the ones that are just like in there grabbing stuff, helping out, and the other ones just stand back going, no, nah, they got this. Yeah. The, the, the parent that throws the kid in the pool going, they'll learn how to swim. <laughs> uh, but then you do have that moment after, whether it's at the rap party or just like months later, and you finally talk with the elephant in the room. It's like, hey, remember that time this person did that? And you're like, fuck, what was that about? Cause, and there's this like, the close, it's the closest I think I will ever have to going to battle. Yep. Uh, I was just thinking the exact same thing. You know, I'm, I'm far from a soldier and no disrespect to soldiers, no. you know, because that is, that's, that's harder than anything I'll ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, uh, that's the closest I can get to like understanding what that must be like is, is coming out of like just a day where like there's, uh, there's these great moments of sh- film shows too when, uh, when Bella Lugosi is like standing in that, you know, pond swamp, whatever the fuck it is with the octopus. And he starts talking about like reminiscing about his life. And <laughs> it's just like, Hey Bella, I got 25 scenes to shoot tonight. <laughs> I've had, I know I've had that moment as a filmmaker where an actor comes up, brings a problem to you that they could have easily brought to you at any point in the previous weeks or months when you weren't literally about to shoot the scene. <laughs> Uh, and sometimes it's a, legit, it's a legitimate problem where they notice something's wrong with it, but you're also like, I don't have time to fix it, and I also don't want to shoot it if it's bad. What the fuck? <laughs> and just having to go, okay, and now this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, one of the other things uh, from like the end sequence was very surprised that uh, Vampira didn't win that lawsuit <laughs> against Elvira. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because she's legit just copying her shtick. Yeah, I had to think. I even thought for a moment I was like, "Oh no, Elvira's not that old." Like I was like, "Could they not just say Elvira at one point?" But I was like, "Oh wait, no, this is wrong. That's yeah. she's not that old." And just yeah, I, that was one of the first things because I didn't know Vampira. I know Elvira really well, and because that's our age. That was the eighties, yeah. right? This is this is previous to that. Yeah, but exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I. I'm very surprised that that lawsuit didn't work out. <laughs> I wonder what, yeah, who knows? Maybe a different judge, different jury, or however far I went would have would have ruled differently. Yeah, who who knows? Um, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to uh, look that up and look at the uh, details of it to see, try to get an understanding of that. But yeah, no, I was glad that I was glad to revisit this. It, it definitely holds like such a near and dear place to my heart still. Just having. You know, I've been fortunate. I've made seven films now, but like they still feel they're all hard and and weird in different ways. And I even feel like the movie I just uh, I did that's in festivals now, Ashgrove, was very much like not an Ed Wood type film, but like we shot it on my farm, mm-hmm. super small crew during the pandemic, shot it in ten days with just enough money. It was like one of those situations where you know Jonas and I were were starting to talk with the idea, and I was like, how much do you think we can raise if we tell the producers that they can never see a script? And that I might not ever want to release it if it's a giant piece of shit. And Jonas says, I can find this much money. I said, great. We're going to make it for that. <laughs> and we did. Um, but uh, but luckily it turned out to not be a big piece of crap. No, it's but, fantastic. But watching this, I was like, oh, there's a little bit of Ed Wood in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that was one of those ones, uh, too, where I remember you sent it watched it i feel like i watched it like uh, at the, around oh yeah you the saw one of the pandemic yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah like pretty a long time ago actually yeah and uh thinking like when the hell did you make this <laughs> we made it in secret because we weren't sure it was going to turn out we thought mm-hmm. it might be a jump we, we gave ourselves permission everyone in that film from like all the actors to every crew position the rule on that movie was it's okay to fail and if this movie is a piece of shit, we never have to show anybody. Uh, and so everyone just really went in and embraced that nature. And and it was easily one of the most collaborative experiences I've ever had because we worked. I think I can talk about it now. We were kind of keeping it a secret. But the actors didn't have a script. Or the entire movie is improvised. 
Really? Yeah. Wow. So and we've talked about that a little bit, but there was a, there was an outline that I had, but nobody else saw. So it was also me running by the seat of my pants and just like t- giving actors motivations at the top of scenes and then revising every night. That I, I want to watch it again, knowing that that's amazing. <laughs> That's incre- That's some uh, stepbrother stuff, but yeah. it's not a comedy, so that's no. even more impressive. <laughs> Do they not have a script at all for that? No. Yeah, they just like that makes sense. Had it go? They must have had an outline though. I I think they might have because we shot chronological order, so right. there was no outline. The, the, the actors literally all they knew was what had happened to their characters leading up to the day they started shooting the movie. So did you have like? outline kind of change where you're like actually it seems like it's going this way you know it, it to be honest it, it stayed pretty close to my initial structure but uh, I definitely shifted and changed some things along the way just because of the way certain relationships were evolving between the characters and how like they were bouncing off each other in different ways I definitely like tweaked and played around and, and just kind of enjoyed I, I we saw it as a as a big giant experiment and a way to, for us all to push our craft in ways we hadn't before and for me to also go maybe it's a comedy probably it won't be you know <laughs> and and not lean into like all the comedy training i have you know uh very freeing very freeing and i and i 100% want to do something like it again at some point yeah i mean like uh for me uh, now, like learning this right now over this movie that I've already seen, and being an improviser, I'm like, this is the most exciting thing in the world to me right now. <laughs> it's that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So one day, one day, one day, I think again. But I just like there was something, uh, and the actors loved it too because they were just like, oh my god, like they didn't have to. The only thing they had to prepare was uh, answers to a game we played, like one of those trivia, how well do you know somebody else games? Right. That's the only time they really had anything scripted, and I fucked with them because I gave them wrong answers. <laughs> um, based on if they if they actually knew their partner that well, right? So they had answers that they were, they were sure of, but they might not have been the right answers. But they thought they were the right answers. And so on camera, when they find out they're wrong, like they look pissed off, but in a good way. Like it, it worked really, really well. <laughs> That is incredible for creating those situations too. It was fun. It was such. It was so fun to just kind of be able to play a little puppet master in a weird way. But but it only worked. I was so lucky that I had such a great group of actors that was willing to just trust me and let me kind of like fuck with them in you know in in a, in a loving collaborative way. That's such a smart thing to think about, too, just to have, like, those facts of the the characters or whatever and having them... I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. We had we had one time where one of the actors actually... They didn't call it quite called cut, but they went, that's wrong. That's not how... That's not what you told me. And I was like, that doesn't mean it's wrong. <laughs> and they went, okay, fucker. <laughs> but they were into it. They realized, oh, shit, that's cool. Uh, anyway, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I could talk about me all day long. The the puppet master like Bella Lugosi in the the strings. <laughs> yeah, we brought it back around. Uh, so, final thoughts on Ed Wood? Yeah, I was I was very happy watching this movie, and it's definitely one that I'll be watching again. And I I really enjoyed it. I think it's probably going to go around the top of my Tim Burton list. Yeah. It's up there. It's uh, it might be the top for me. Um, I'm just trying to think what it would unseat it again. I got to rewatch Edward Scissorhands. I've only I came to that one late. Like I missed that one in, in the initial run in, so I don't have like like this soft spot for it the way I know a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. But I got to give it another watch. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies. I think it holds up well too. Like I watched it again kind of recently. Um, it wasn't one that was like a childhood like classic for me either. I think. If any of the Tim Burton ones, like Beetlejuice is kind of like yes. that one that I just like watched when it came out and it's just like so important, I think, to yeah. me. That's why like Beetlejuice 2 coming out soon. Like that's, it's, will it hold up? I don't know. Like it's got Michael Keaton, it's got Winona Ryder, and I was seeing that they've also cast Johnny Depp in it. So Of course they have. That's uh, interesting. He's going to be the son of Beetlejuice. <laughs> son of Beetlejuice. I'm sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much faith I have in uh, Tim Burton today, but... You've got to think that it's like he's only doing it again if they've got a great story to tell. Uh, and I don't know. I'm just, I, I, I got to hope. You got to hope, right? It's and either there's a great story to tell or there's money to be made. And I think the money to be made is pointing in that direction. Yeah, because Michael Keaton is back now, right? He has a resurgence after he got blacklisted for not doing the, thir- the third Batman. Yes, he's he's back. Winona Ryder's back with Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Johnny Depp's ever been more popular or at yeah. least talked about. So I think that with those three people alone and the title of Beetlejuice 2, I think there's money to be made. It's it's just, it's nostalgia. It's like everyone of our generation is going to go see it because we grew up with Beetlejuice and we're all going to take our fucking kids to it. Yep. Because we want our kids to relive the magic too. It's brilliant. It's that's the way you do it, right? Mm-hmm. By doing a, it, it's like a heart. It's not was. It's not called a requel. Is that what they call it? Right. Yes. Because it's, like, it's not a remake, but it's not just a sequel. It's kind of like it's it's kind of like remaking. You know the way the, the I, th- I think they talked about it in Scream Five. That's I think Scream Five literally turned their coin. Yeah, coined the term requel. Yeah, but uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, that's what like the the new Star Wars trilogy was. It was exactly. Like a, yeah, it was like it was in theory a continuation, but very much like just doing a remake of the of the original. I think that's always it's definitely a more interesting approach than a full on remake or it's more interesting and more meta and more modern. Right? Mm-hmm. I think mean, it was kind of like... And that was the thing I kind of like really appreciated about uh, the new Spider-Man movie too, right? Was just like the way they were just brilliantly using like this concept of the multiverse to go, oh my God, like, all these movies that existed from other studios and like they all exist. They all can still fit inside of this continuity that they have within Marvel. I'm like, that's a fucking stroke of brilliance. Yeah. To, to, to be able to cash in on all that nostalgia and bring in fans from all those other castings. I'm like, that's just brilliant. And it's all centered around the scene where the Spider-Mans are cracking each other's backs. Yeah. <laughs> it's gorgeous. <laughs> it is. It truly is. Well, thanks for joining me and, and, and giving me a chance to revisit this. Oh, thank you uh, so much because I've I've been holding on to this one for a night and it did not disappoint. Nice. And now I gotta I gotta watch Mars Attacks again with my son because I think he'll really love it. Let's all go to the Thanks for joining us for Ed Wood. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.